Welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady. Welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. On tonight's podcast, we have Andreas Zerdis. That's right, Andreas Zerdis. He is the man from Tartary Nova. He has a new podcast coming out called Advanced Philosophy Memes Podcast. And then he had another podcast, Recent Tartarians history revised the truth behind fake history deep dive into ancient tartaria with andreas zertis and scholars from around the world as we explore the historical record for legends myths and lies and the truths behind them that's right andreas zertis and he's on our uh, alt media united platform so you can go to altmediaunited.com and check out his awesome page there and you'll find the links to all the great websites I mean, the guy is brilliant. This conversation was a lot of fun. We talked about the Illuminati card game. We talked about Connecticut and all of the interesting things that he knows about Connecticut that I didn't know. We got into some things about Tartaria, obviously, a man named Tecumseh, the truth about the cherry tree story with George Washington. We talked about how Andreas... (laughs) was behind a program that eventually led to cannabis being grown in space. We asked him about Flat Earth and his thoughts on Flat Earth, which surprisingly, he's pretty open to it. But stick around for the whole episode. It's a good one. And uh, if you subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com slash MFTIC, you can get the video version of the show, which for this episode is particularly helpful because he showed us some really cool Illuminati card game uh, cards that he had. So check it out. Please go to the website. You can find all the links there. It's at www.myfamilythinksimcrazy.com. There's no apostrophe in the word I'm because you can't use an apostrophe in a URL. So myfamilythinksimcrazy.com and you can find our Patreon. You can find our PayPal donation button. You can find a blog post with each episode where I go into some details, some research, some sources, cite those sources that were mentioned so you can follow up. 
But yeah, this is a great conversation with Andreas Zertis. Please enjoy the show. BLM as in Bureau of Land Management. And this is this is where I started to figure out where some of the meme magic was going. But what is Bureau of Land Management? Because this, this is the other hashtag when I type BLM. So look into Bureau of Land Management. You start to find out Bureau of Land Management is the agency that runs uh, Burning Man in Santa's. It owns the land underneath it. And Bureau of Land Management took in the last couple of years 200 miles of California coast, 51% of Oklahoma, more and more places in Connecticut, wildlife preserves, New Mexico, and anywhere there's oil or natural resources and minerals. They're all lying, cheating, stealing, and destroying each other. Like any place has Hogs Day, you know is a, a victim of a plague war, a biological warfare. Then the reason is, you know, like Jews and Muslims know not to eat pork, especially sailors kind of, and like if you remember Muslims ran Spain, they ran the Dutch, Dutch East Indies Trading Company, they were not eating the pigs. This is an autonomous Atlantis city colony. And you have a river that hits it at a golden ratio angle, and it bends the water around, bends the water around, purifies, filters the water makes it possible for people to plant things, grow things, and even have windmills, and so water mills. And those water mills, they weren't from Holland originally, they come from the Arab traders that brought them from Georgia, and, and from Herodotus, and from the Library of Alexandria, which is the Turkey, Constantinople, Istanbul, yeah. and that's where uh, Zildjian's from. So these are the families that made this all happen. So they, they put an atmospheric lock on us and we're not able to leave that and what i was taught at nasa was that it's really the space debris all around us it's just it's clown land it's clown theory it's clown physics it's the opposite physics it's, it's cool but it's it's a weird idea that that would be what the universe <laughs> welcome back to the show with us tonight is andreas zertis Exertus, but yeah, Exertus. put that in your put that in your GIF keyboard and find some of my memes. You know, <laughs> like go all over the place with that word. It's pretty much a hashtag now. All right, so he's he's ubiquitous online. You can find him in all the places, I'm sure. What's the name of your podcast, Andreas? Well, I got recent Tartarians, and you can find it on Odyssey on YouTube, and pretty soon because you, you're gonna be able to find it a lot more places. So look for recent Tartarians. Anything with the word Tartaria. You're going to probably find me. I've been kind of at the center of that for a minute. And then, yeah, Exertus, like I kind of do like a lot of interviews just as Exertus too. So it's, it's kind of convoluted whether it's a podcast or not. It's kind of like a vlog. It's just my life, you know? No, that's, I think that's what's really great about podcasting is that there's no set format. You really have a lot of freedom to be creative. And I'll tell you what, you're not wrong about being at the center of the Tartaria topic because you have, you know, rightfully so, you have some of the best information i've heard on the subject but before we get into all of that because that is something we hope to talk about before we let you go we're going to talk a little bit about the card game and before i get too carried away joining me on the show is my producer jay and his Hello. sidekick who recently got a promotion to secretary, secretary. i got promoted Adam, you got promoted buddy finally so, after uh, all the demotions i'm back baby so over here in my office where there is no secretary, I have something in my hands called the Illuminati card game. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> 
and Andreas has his own copy. So that's what I wanted now, to get into. I have like a couple copies now. So I, so the thing is, I've, it's, it came out in 1982. So it's been around since before I was alive. Knew people with it all my life. Had in Santa Cruz, Robert Anton Wilson, where I'm from. He was in Live Oak. And so I actually met him, went to his funeral. I was just surrounded in, in the energy of the Illuminatus books, which is what Stephen Jackson based the cards on. But a normal deck is a 409 deck. And I've used it all my life as a screensaver where you like mix the pictures and it's like a tarot horoscope. But, you know, you get a 409 deck, there's like 100 common cards, 100 uncommon cards. Theoretically, there's another 100 uncommon cards and another, there's another set of like 30, 30, 30. Plus there's the, I just, and I wish I had this for you to see, I'll have this next time, is the, the expansion deck from the Subgenius Church. Because that's that's classic and it's hard to get, but I, I had I had to order another set. But I, I let my friend back in Santa Cruz hold on to my original deck. So I had to get more cards so i you know someone sent me in the mail like a good starter pack just before this happened before you even asked i was like oh thank because this is the kind of thing i need this like all the time to be happy is to have all these cards but what you end up with it's a game about like running the world right so like you like dungeon dragons like magic you like all these things i like running i like running the world and so people that like to run the world or compete to run the world you want to take over the world and so you have these different kinds of groups you know you have the 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 gnomes of zurich the intellectuals the uh, survivalists the illuminati is made up of a lot of different groups and once you eco gorillas you know i don't and the thing is i don't have to pick the card for it to be a magically a synchronistic symbol with this game it just constantly is yeah which one is that the gnomes of zurich which no that's the uh, adepts of hermes yeah well and then you can see some of the examples of the cards here for instance like you, you play a uh, PSYOP on people, and each one PSYOP is like a combined disaster or, you know, the uh, gay activist. And this is an old enough game that gay activists today would be replaced with like the LGBTQ culture, or you would have to have a cancel culture card too. But in general, this is like, you know, bribery. And uh, a lot of them, like they're, they're reasonable things that exist. Some of them didn't exist yet. Like there were cards for the 9-11, September 11th, Twin Towers, the pictures of the Twin Towers exploding. And I'll get into why that's important in a second. Like Volcano, they, they say like disaster. This is an instant attack to destroy any place except a huge one, right? And again, 1982, okay, a huge one with a capital H. It does not require an action. Its power is 18, 18 to three sixes. It's the attacks. If this attack succeeds, the target is devastated. If the die roll succeeds more, is succeeded by more than two, the target is completely destroyed. And so the game comes with die, like games should. Uh, also, by the way, black die with white spots. But yeah, and so also I figured it would be fun to show you like some I of these. I love this. Yeah, the, we didn't even open this yet. This is a brand new pack. Like somebody watching this video is going to be super, super like, you know, this is like, I'm having sex with someone else's wife right now. I'm opening the card in front of people. It's probably a lot for people to actually see this happen. Yeah, just slowly pull that off. I mean, this is money just wasted for some people. But the problem is like people just keep this stuff and they don't love it. Like they love it like from afar. You know, you want to get into your game and play your game. So, you know, you pull these out nice and gently. Which, uh, where'd and, you find it? Oh, well, you know. I have a community, right? So I get involved. I will, you know, like, so on Sam, Sam came over on my birthday. They took down my discord after it played. So I think that 
too many people found out that I have too interesting of a community. So we started the Matrix server, which we have a new Discord for, but it's the Exertus Discord. And it's, you know, it's like thousands of people. A lot of them have degrees. And I also run like uh, philosophy memes on Facebook and all these different things. So I have like hundreds of thousands of people. And like, I make uh, my own cards. I have like my own printed cards also. Like, um, That's awesome. And I just started doing laser cut ones, right? So here's, you know. Here's the, the stamp card. It's going to have values. I'm going to start. These are the templates. Awesome. These are the templates for, for what we work on. So uh, this so is cool. Wilhelm Reich laser cut. Where was the one I really, me and Alex Jones, you know, like, <laughs> just, just the good stuff. Teilhard Chardin. Who's that? Jesuit priest you never heard of? Better look into a piece of card, right? So you start to figure out, like, you can make your own cards. You can make your own expansion decks. That's why I was mentioning. Well, I will say there there are blank cards in the yeah, there's uh, 20 in the if deck you have a, here. If you have a full, like, if you have a nice deck, it's like 469 cards because the 409 cards also include several sets of the no, of the, the German couple specials. And then there's also the 20 blanks. Yeah. And so the 20 blanks are designed for you to make yourself. But theoretically, 20 blanks, you could buy more blanks and you could keep making blanks. And so eventually you end up with something like Honktopia. So Honktopia, <laughs> I got it before we get into the open source version of the thing, I should preface the story a little bit more. Steven Jackson got in, like his computers and everything else taken from him. The government were like, why are you making this awesome game that no, like, it's all of these government psyops that we keep secret. How do you know our best plays? And how do you know we have a card game? Are you making fun of our card game? I forget if we mentioned it, but the CIA trained yeah. their employees with a card game. And I sent you a link on that, but there's, there's, you can get the declassified system patent, but not the cards themselves. So it, you have to kind of know how the psyops work. But so what ended up happening was they took his computers away and he ended up suing the government because he had no information like Tom Clancy and they ended up losing and he ended up, or they couldn't prove that he had anything from them. So they ended up giving him tons of money back. So Steven Jackson's doing pretty good, but you know, he had to hide out and you notice that like the game didn't get reprinted ever. And uh, there's no, you know, there's not new, haven't been new decks since I think the Subgenius deck in, in, uh, wow. They did do an Illuminati 2, and the cards are not as interesting. And it just came out in 2018 or 19. And it's just, or 20, maybe it was the 2020 deck, but it's just like, it has different kinds of art. It's not as good. And so simultaneously, a bunch of people on 4chan started putting together the Honktopia deck. And so Honktopia's got some problems. Not, I mean, it's a little racy. It's a 4chan deck. There's going to be some cards in there that are a little, you know, whatever. Dodgy <laughs> plays. As I say this, the card I pull up first is Baphomet. So, I mean, oh it's my not God. my, it's not like I, I meant to, but you see like the next card right afterwards I'm pulling up is Glenn Maxwell followed by Keck. Okay. So this is, and there's a Kyle Rittenhouse card too. Okay. So there is every kind of 4chan moment in the new deck, but these are all the new psyops. And so they've been figured out and put together like Honktopia you can find it on our GitHub, like, cause we have an open, it's open source. So you can, and, but if you want to get a real precious deck, you got to get in there. I think you can go on eBay now, but we're working on making them available. The guy who actually started putting this together, we want to set up maybe a slightly less racy deck. Cause like, there's a couple cards here that probably not for everybody. Like it's, those are the, the dungeon master cards, but like in general, like this is like, I mean, how many, how many cards is that? Right. Like that's like, it's a lot of cards. So there's a lot of, there's, think about all the psyops you can play. And generally like any card game you saw, there's like 18 points versus 11 points. And like, how do you like this psyop over here is 
a volcano and they're like oh my like the volcano is the biggest psyop because it like it you have to do the fema camps and things like that what do we do it's like well we use the gay activist card so that it like it shows the media sensation over here and then that's how you control society enough that you can take over and whether you're the cia or the aliens or the gnomes of zurich or the adepts of hermes or whatever yeah that's kind that's of the, point the, of the strategy game. okay yeah it's and a fun when, game. You, when you mentioned they didn't have like the modern cards i did have in mind they have a political correctiveness correctness yeah. card and they also have a censorship card so they're they are predicting these kind of things yeah the original deck has cards about you know political correctness and hypocr- hypocrisy and flat earthers pizza gate you know the, the frog god you know it has every everything the kkk like you know but it has it has everything yeah. but the new the new deck though it just has it just it is politically correct you know so that's why we needed like honktopia because it's it's taking you but you can play honktopia by itself which is kind of the nice thing is it, it works by itself but it also works as a bonus deck directly in illuminati so you call it inwo illuminati new world order inwo is the you know the shorthand for that yeah but it's a great it's it's a great game it's a divination tool yeah that's and and that's absolutely what it was so maybe we can come back a little further i will just show that as you say nwo it backwards it says omni which is really cool wow i hadn't even thought about that that's awesome this is this is the uh box from the version i have a little beat up but yeah yeah that's the uh, that's the one you want though because that box has the you know it has like the four and that's like the full deck so a lot of time people were getting just some of the cards and it's now kind of rare. I feel bad even mentioning it because now people are going to rush out and want to spend like a computer's sum of, or a car's sum of money to get some of these, you know, because they become more and more rare. But like, again, that's why we're making like alternatives that work the same way. And like, you can get most of these things on the internet. I hope pretty soon that they on wish.com incentivize uh, Steven Jackson to start making his cards again. Because if you notice the magic cards, you can get a $30 pack of them all from China. So someone's going to have to step step up the recreation of these yeah that's so interesting but maybe we can go back a little further because robert anton wilson is someone who i first encountered through his books prometheus rising is a great book i love that book there's another book called undoing yourself which really really took me on a different direction and and showed me a lot of new ways of thinking about life. You know, it was really- You must unlearn what you have learned. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, Robert Anton Wilson, some might say he's a little sketchy, right? Was there some uh, ties to anything nefarious with Robert Anton Wilson? What do you think? Well, I love the guy. So I have yeah, the biggest you're, bias. You're biased. I went but to his get, funeral. You know? let's, get like, right, for me, let's get right into it. Tell, let's let, talk, tell let, us about Robert Anton Wilson. Let's, let's start with like, in terms of answering your question, to know stuff, one must be near th- to see things, right? Sometimes. So, I mean, yeah, like, and if you grew up where I grew up, like, so new, people don't think about it the same way. Because someplace else you're like, I wonder if Bohemian Grove is real. But you don't do that in the town of Bohemian Grove. Like, you just, California. Like, you know, like, you know it's there. It's just like the golf club on the East Coast or something. But it's we have these elite occultists that are interested in magic and the the mafia and the cocaine and the CIA. Like it's all that's just what's happening in, our, in the peripheral of your life. So, yeah, he saw a lot of stuff. But let's go a little bit more like 
how did he get into the Illuminati? Well, at some point, you know, after a lot of things had already happened to him, he ended up as an editor for Playboy magazine. And he's like, look, let's just do a conspiracy theory section for the articles. I mean, when people say they read Playboy for the articles, they probably were talking about Robert Anton Wilson. And so he would be like, okay, send in your craziest conspiracy. And so imagine the audience he had. It was equivalent to the podcast audiences of today, the weird counterculture and like the gentleman, but like, you know, it's a playboy. So people were sending every conspiracy they ever had. Things like the name Ford used to be Fnord, right? And things like little bits of, of things like the Mandala effect thing, like the original versions of all of these things, could be, not maybe the first version, but it, it, it was where it was all brought together into a trilogy. And he's like, look, these are the conspiracy theories that we've heard about Atlantis and this and that. And it's all, you know, some of these might be true. Most of them probably aren't. Don't don't get me killed in a car accident. And so he he survived. And so he put out like a lot of truth in front of a lot of people and he continued to do that. But at first he was too humble to call himself like a great person over that. But he, you know, eventually I think he realized like you have to unlearn who you are and then you have to become a philosopher, a lover of wisdom. And you have, you know, like a friend to wisdom. You have to try to do your best to, to put out that energy to make the world a better place. And so, you know, as far as I can tell, like coming from a town where, you know, Anton LaVey from the Church of Satan lived and retired and died too, like you got to pick your people. I think Robert Anton Wilson was a pretty good one, like pretty of the whole town, like he's one of the better people. But yeah, like the people he was around are also really great people. That's another thing, like the Discordians and the Subgenius Church and the Unarius cult, like all of these kinds of interesting things, like believing in aliens or believing in Slack or, or reclaiming spirituality to be a more main, like, you know, like Bob Dobbs is this uh, God saint character to the Subgenius Church. Well, Bob is Robert Anton Wilson to some people, like pretty much this where a lot of Bob comes from and he went by Bob, you know, and, or raw, but like, I mean, the one thing also that happened recently was I found, I've been making a lot of videos and a guy found out that I knew about him and it was this guy, Joe Trapishan. And I have a video on my channel, Joe Tripp, and he's interviewed, he, he knew, he's old, you know, he's like 60. So he knew Bob, he made Muppets episodes. He wrote a song about alien abductions with Jeff Buckley. Like he did all of the uh, cheap trick and Lou Reed music uh, videos and stuff. And then he did like a conspiracy of silence documentary and he had to basically leave the country. Cause like the, he was about to win like the Rockefeller video Academy award in New York. And then they were like, you shouldn't have done that. Like that was, you just revealed a lot about, you know, human trafficking that we don't want you to reveal. So he's like living in Brazil, but he did like United Nations propaganda for the Bosnia Herzegovina conflict, which he did some of it with Robert Anton Wilson. So in terms of some of the weird stuff Robert Anton Wilson was involved with, he had like a thing called borders. And so it was all about mind borders and how we've created these like false borders and that really we need to like open up our minds, open up our societies. And that was, you know, that was aimed towards bringing, uh, taking apart the Cold War in a lot of ways and destroying not just the Cold War from the destroying of the Soviet Union, but reverse psyoping through society, like the way Jim Henson was doing it, right? Jim Henson in a lot of ways with Ferngoli, I mean, Fraggle Rock. Fraggle Rock was designed, he, uh, originally, he said, in order to, to stop the Cold War and to, to cause world peace by raising another generation that will eventually like not be, they'll be immune to war propaganda. So, I mean, the, these are the intentions of these kinds of meme magic people. And that's exactly what Robert Anton Wilson was. 
So yeah, I think he's a good guy, but definitely was involved with some interesting stuff. Not going to lie. Now, what you said right there, definitely now the connection to 4chan should be much more clear for a lot of people because when we're talking about meme magic, we're not talking about something that was solely born on the internet. We're talking about something that's as old as time. It's just been, you know, understood by different people and portrayed in different ways, you know. And I think Robert Anton Wilson and this group of the uh, the Church of the Subgenius and all these other related groups at this time, they were suppressed and they were putting this information out in the underground. And now that the internet allows for this underground you know we're really seeing the next step of this kind of uh wave of of i I don't want to call it like the weather underground but that's the the group that i always think of even though they were kind of just like rich liberal kids i don't know what do you do you well i mean yeah i got a billion i got a billion a billion ways to go on that one but let's say okay with the weather underground first off the kids the foot soldiers were all middle-class college kids but they were organized by the cia and so what you find interesting about in, in my earlier history revised documentary, which I recommend to people, I talk a bit about like how spy versus spy are horizontal relationships work. So spy and spy know each other very well. They deal with each other on a horizontal level every day. They deal with each other way more than they deal with their boss. So the thing is that the communist uh, KGB and the CIA eventually like who knows Marxism better than the CIA? So at a certain point, they understand it so well that when they come back to these colleges and you've got, you know, leftists that are starting to infiltrate the schools and have taken over the schools. And you also have to understand, like, neoconservatism is like a Trotskyite. Originally, they were Trotskyites when the Democrats were Stalinites. They're not really like conservative versus socialistic. That's not even a thing. Like, really, like neoconservatives are a kind of Marxist, according to international political scientists. But so they're like probably what happened was in Ohio and in California, they had some some draft recruiters, like recruiters that were before the draft trying to get people to join on campus. And they're like, we're never going to join you. And then they were like, really? Why? And they're like, well, because we're countercultural. Oh, can you tell us about your counterculture? And then they just tailored, you know, a thing for them to fit into, which is the counterculture Masonic movement. And that's kind of what the Weather Underground was. So they had this back and forth. And, you know, the, the FBI and the CIA had some pretty, like Hoover uh, wasn't dealing very well with George Bush, George Prescott Bush, who was the president of the CIA at the time. So, you know, like the people don't realize like how deep and integral the international order that was created from the OSS is, but they're not that straight up American. They're a bit more than that. They're a bit more like futurist in a sense. They're, they have, they're goal-driven, agenda-driven. They want to build a new world that's full of free agents that can act in certain ways and so they 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 understand marxism they actually at the end there by trying making these programs with like we're going to take over we're going to study these people we're going to learn about what they know about marxism end up teaching these kids marxism and militarize like real they're like that's not what this is what it is like you know like it's like that scene in life of brian where he's like that's not written right and he makes the graffitiist write the graffiti again properly (laughs) like so they they were but they were like you know, the, the things that we did to provoke them to doing things for us to create uh, tiger sock puppet kind of states and things that would scare people. That's the weather underground was definitely exploited 
for that. But the word itself, you know, like it takes, it doesn't take a weatherman to know which way the wind is blowing is what the original story is supposed to be. And those kids, the middle-class kids didn't know what they were getting into. But when you look now into how some of those kids are, you know, the, the story with the uh, escaping Canada because someone ran the census board who is gave the numbers to Obama like the, the, for the um, social security numbers so that they could have false social security numbers from old people. Like there's a lot there with the government working to internationally create spies out of American college kids. And that, that was what the weather underground was for. Yeah. Wow. And what, and the reason I'm, I'm so glad you were able to elaborate on that and maybe the reason why I stumbled and said that word in the first place I, it didn't really make sense but it does now because what we see is like the robert anton wilson counterculture stream then you have this very clearly manipulated counterculture and i think as we're moving forward into this digital space the manipulation of the counterculture is taking on a whole nother level so considering that we we're talking about 4chan we're talking about this meme magic what are your thoughts on QAnon? now it's called blue anon and 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 what do you think like is that. is there well yeah I don't, in a weird way that sums it up doesn't it i mean so yeah. <laughs> that's literally my, what i've been saying for the last few years is that QAnon has become blue anon it's like there's something that like because it's first we're talking about real things and those things start to get memed and there's you know, like I just went to Comet Pizza Ping Pong like a couple of weeks ago just to check the place out because now I'm on the coast. And I wanted to see like what's going on. And it's still running and they have people in the back and there's like a weird band behind the place. I'm not saying I know anything beyond what we can find out from like data trafficking, but there's definitely been, you know, businesses on the West Coast that were having uh, human trafficking and they were using child pornography in their servers. You'd have a website and like I can, you know, I do tech. I can be like looking into a website and see the bandwidth that they're trafficking. So yeah, there's definitely something about like Tavistock mind control. And that's this, the idea that the British Tavistock Institute made the Beatles in order to pacify people and getting people on acid. I don't know if you read LSD, Acid Dreams, which you can get from Arrowhead for free. It's a great book on basically the Soviet Union had their own acid and then they realized what was going on. So they quarantined part of Czechoslovakia. And they gave them a week to get them out of the country because there's some of these were people's families. But they're like, yeah, you got to you, you're never allowed to be here again. Like when the tanks come up and people were burning themselves in the streets in the 60s in Czech Republic. I mean, straight up because the Soviet Union was ending acid and, end, and they'd given people this Soviet acid of tiny hammers and sickles. So, you know, the mind control and meme magic, let's say like the word meme gets its credit from, you know, what's his name, the atheist, Richard Dawkins. Is that right? Well, I yeah. thought, it, yeah, is it, is that who did the memetics and genetics? That's, well, so he that's... gets, he gets the credit for the word because he's saying genetics also have learned traits. But when you think about it, it's a much older concept. And so that's another reason I was thinking about uh, Terry Chardin because Alan Watts, right? So Alan Watts studied Terry Chardin and Terry Chardin was the Jesuit who figured out that geology socializes. And he kind of like, he was a Jesuit Catholic that figured out that 
really conscious evolution is what is happening all the time. Like mind and other mind work together. You know, it's either we're breeding together or we're introducing each other to each other's families and we're working with each other, but we're doing like it's conscious and people are choosing society is not just rape. You know, that's like a huge misnomer. Like it exists, but a lot of society is based on a lot of evolution has been based on life of different kinds working together to change and go through different circumstances. So the meme magic at the time was, there was a guy, Dick Price, and if you've heard of the Esalen Institute in California, Dick Price was, he was mentored by Alan Watts. And he was saying, you need to do something like Gurdjieff did. And Gurdjieff in the Enneagram and all that stuff is all about practice instead of therapy. So practice instead of therapy became kind of the Esalen idea of psychology where you don't therapy other people you know it's not like a up down vertical relationship it's where therapists get together is they're, they're self-aware and there's it's like if you were being hypnotized and you turned hypnotism of yourself into neuro-linguistic programming they practiced together a semantics and they were fully aware that they were trying to change words and be careful of what words they were using and express themselves in different ways and like imagine you were depersonifying yourself or breaking down like I am not sick. My body that I own has a cold of its own. Like the, these kinds of thoughts really do help you and change you. But that is uh, the, kind of the beginning of 20th century meme magic. And there was a lot of that going on before, you know, and we see it transcend the internet through the ice bucket challenge, you know, and when Trump does the ice bucket challenge, you know, that Taylor Swifting and all these things are going to turn into fax machine pictures that people were in the 70s people sent back pictures to each other with words all the time so or 80s you know so we we're really just living in a reincarnation of the same time over and over again but with 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 trendsetters yeah you have to be really careful because they've made it so much harder for people to know how to make their own art make their own music make their own podcasts and communications and Instead, you end up watching, you know, a million views, million. Well, isn't that kind of scary if a billion people watch the same thing? Because you're basically, with memes, it's like memories. And, it's, and with video, it's even weirder because it's like, it's, if I tell you, like, my guy walks into my bar, my, my midget or my short person, it's, your, it's yours, you know. But if I show you a person walking in at this height, walking to this bar, you know, you're, you're stuck with, with my symbols, no new imagination. And so it's really dangerous because we're stacking experiences on people and we're making people across the board, which literally are basically, if you don't have a life because you didn't get to go outside during COVID and all you and imagine, like all you have are the same videos you've seen. Wow. You know, with laugh tracks or not, like you're going to be pretty similar to other people. That's the scariest part of meme magic. Yeah, no, I hundred, I 100% see that in my Crazy. own life. There was a part of you know, a time in my life where I was watching TV and I had this realization, like, what am I doing? You know, I'm wasting time. And I really am so grateful that something pushed me into listening to podcasts because the audio format allows for that imagination to take place. And I think I've learned so much. I mean, the first thing I actually listened to, I hate to give Spotify credit, but they have the Joseph Campbell lecture archives all on Spotify. So I, when I first downloaded Spotify back in like 2015 or 14, I like just went through that whole archive and really fell in love with like listening to something. And it's been completely pivotal to my understanding and, and the growth of my, you know, knowledge. And 
you know, knowledge is, isn't good for much unless you do something with it. Right. So Word. I think that's exactly where the meme magic comes in is like, they have the knowledge of this, the physics of this. So now they're using it for their agenda. They don't care if we learn it. They actually don't want us to learn about it because then we can't contribute to the spell. We can't contribute to the ritual. And I think what you saw with 4chan is people taking this back. People saying, no, we're going to make some potent symbols that are going to actually change culture. And Robert All Anton Wilson. They... No, go ahead. Well, I was saying with for, for, for fortune telling, with fortune telling, all of the fortuning has all the fortune tellers have. There are there are plants in there too, you know. And so a lot of the time, you know, I, you see it where they're like, "This is a plant." Like a lot of them, they they know because the culture is so a specific resonance. But you know, and fortune fortune came from Yolo, and I don't mean you only live once. I mean Davis, California. There's a place called Yolo, and so a lot of students. One of the biggest mosques in California, a lot of like Arabs, a lot of Asian first generation Californians there. And what you get from that are a lot of conservatives. So the influx of conservatism into 4chan comes from its surroundings of people that like they have a new family that just got here, that have a small business and they want lower taxes and et cetera. But they also have like hyper Marxist, hyper like, you know, Stalinites, you have like straight up techno Stalinites that want to replace society with a dictator, artificial intelligence. You have me magic people, you have people like more and more, you have people from all over the world there. But when it first first started, you can see, you know, from swarm records, where most people were, and it was very big that you'd have people that were you know, like a kid who was just going to college for a criminal uh, intelligence or for investigative, you know, drug crime, criminology. Those are a big field, actually. And then tech for, you know, maybe they were going to be in the Air Force or the Navy working on computers. Because all of a sudden it became, did you know you could go to the Army? And they're like, I don't want to get shot. Like, did you know you could, if you're really smart and you go to the Army, you can like live in like an air-cooled building and build like Linux machines with projectors? Oh, and that became where 4chan people came out of. So there, there's a lot of there's a lot of plants in there. For instance, I think some of like the anti-Semitism and racism, it, it, there are autistic people out there. Like obviously, and especially people that believe meme magic, if they see something, they might just echo it forever. But is it the first people that say, I mean, I think like Daily Stormer and some of that stuff is like made by PSYOP, like literally created in order to create like honeypots and just into confuse people out of doing the right thing. I'd like to believe that in any way. I mean, I'd like to believe people aren't generally that horrible, but it, it could be like, but and more and more you look at 4chan, you're like, how much of this is the community and how much are more people trying to sway the community? And that's, and that's where the scary thing with influences. That's why everything I do, like I make my own memes. I don't really share. I have a group of groups where people share their memes, but I try to share my memes and put my my pictures on my shirts, you know, like my dad told me as a kid, like, why would you buy some other band's shirt? You know, <laughs> I like, mean, they this... should pay you. Right. That's... I hear that. I, I hear like that. that shirt. Your shirt kind of reminds me of like Don Quixote. I was right. Yeah, this is uh, the shirt I made for oh, Sam's spiritual yeah. podcast. It's got like the Ouroboros as a as <laughs> the zero. Yeah. But, That's pretty. Uh, I really like it. Don Quixote. Thank you. But that's, I mean, look at us. We're both wearing t shirts we made ourselves. I think we're both carrying that energy. 
I, yeah, I think it sums it up. It makes you you're an independent thinker, clearly. Thank head you. company made my t-shirt. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't, oh, worry, well. Jay. Don't worry, Jay. I, I think that the number one thing that really pushed me into thinking this way, it's just like you were describing with the Esalen Institute, where it's, you put it into practice and you change the meaning of your words. It's something that Laurel Erica talked about when she was on Tim Fall Hat with this word magic. And, and it's something that I learned about from Robert Anton Wilson and, and similar avenues of thought, you know, and it's really interesting. I don't know. I think it's what is coming up in mind a lot is like you use these political groups, everybody uses somebody else's political ideas. You know what I mean? Like I'm a Stalinite, I'm a try, you know, it comes from here. Nobody, nobody's original, right? So what, what's your answer to that? I feel like we're honestly just- follow the exodus, join the exodus. It's, <laughs> it's exert us, you know? Andre, us. Yeah, no, I mean, I honestly think that the, the, the first thing to do, and so I run two, okay, so historically, I've been doing social media all my life, you know, I started when I was 10, being the only guy in Santa Cruz in Silicon Valley who could properly remove scratches from records and vinyls. So I would record and digitize this stuff. And so I was working for companies and I had to get my parents to sign off at 11 to do stuff like that. So I've always been a tech kind of rat, tech rat, but like, as, as you start to build your own community, you, you, they would pay me to be fake people for reviews on Yelp and things like that. So I'd have to create these people like T- Pamela or Patricia. And she's, you know, she's a Latino American, fourth generation who lives in this other town and has this kind of job. And this is Steve and he's, you know, black or she's, you know, you have to like, they have all of these questions like a Mad Lib. And you just fill them in and you make them as diverse as possible. You know, as many different kinds of people as possible. And I mean, you know, in every way, whether they're Mormon, whether they're vegetarian, just as you want to hit all of the demographics so you can be like, oh, I'm in your group. I'm in your group. I'm in all the groups. And then you say this restaurant's great, you know, and eventually it's not just this restaurant. Then eventually it's Obama's great or something, because that's what sock puppets are for. And that's what, you know, people pay lots of money for people that have really old and believable accounts from people. And it's, you meet people in other countries and you get photos of their brother and you're like, hey, I want to, for the rest of my your life, can I have someone based on you that supposedly there's another place? Like straight up from Vietnam, Brute Light, Song. I mean, this so you start to create that. I'm at a point now where I remember when 2016 happened, I was like the biggest mod for a very right alt-right group that had evolved a very alt-left group, the United Democrat Party, the neoliberals, the eco-fascists, like they weren't called that, but they were like essentially like these environmentalists that were like against humans. And, you know, I was like, this is so crazy because like these are all these really different groups that hate each other. And I'm in all of them, like Mary Poppins, like I have all the different colors and they're just one, you know, I'm a rainbow. And so, but it was just weird because like, they're like, if this other group wins, we're all dead. I'm like, no, not really, because your group's all of a sudden going to have more members because they're going to get angry and it's going to be great for you. But they don't see it that way because they don't see outside their borders. So borders, you know, Robert Anton Wilson thing. But I realized at that point, the next thing to do. So I took over a group a while ago called Advanced Philosophy Memes. And I just started making, and, and I got a mod in Philosophy Memes. And so Philosophy Memes has transgendered people and communists and like democrats you know moderate liberals you know which are probably the biggest 
threat to everyone. Everyone, what I realized is the more extreme you are, the more you don't really like a moderate liberal. You know, if you're a communist or a neo-Nazi, you're probably going to have more in common. Like, oh, I hate that guy, you know? And so what we did was we started banning, they, they wanted you to ban members and keep that group super socialist. And it was like, the first thing I noticed was they were against Jordan Peterson. I was like, Nah, he's innocuous. Like he didn't win the debate with Zizek. So I don't have a problem with him. But I've always liked Zizek because they come from a communist town. So I like Jordan Peterson and Zizek. So I put their faces together and I was like, oh, heterodoxy. So heterodoxy is the answer. So you take two doxies that are completely opposing and you make one thing out of it. You make a Power Rangers Zorg. And that's the answer, because once you start to incorporate the most radical extremes, it's like Pac-Man. And the new centric point that comes out of that has heard both radical sides more than the, the, the former paleo liberal center, which we had had before. So you're, you're listening. And so from heterodoxy, then you create your new brand and you create your new meme. And like, what are we? Well, we are everything. We are all the things you've ever heard of before us, but like combined properly in a way that's inclusive. You know, and that's that's why I think, yeah, like Exertus is supposed to be that. That's kind of what I've always wanted to do. And the same thing with Tartaria, like for me, Tartaria, a lot of it's also a lens of looking at history because we're like not always the the apex thing. And in history, we're like, oh, wow, actually, there's been a bunch of things that have happened simultaneously. And there's been this cool thing here and cool thing there. So Tartaria is, is also just philosophically a new lens of history. So, you know, by giving people these new words and these new ways to look at all these old things, then they can kind of be liberated because you're saying, I hear you, I heard what you, you've been through, but there's another, there's another aspect to it. And like, we can make that positive and we can make that beautiful. And yeah, I think that's the thing in general is just like trying to put your resonance when you're in a good place, like to, to a symbol for people. Absolutely. That's crazy. Yeah, that was man. a mouthful. So, I'm sorry. No, it's no, okay. I, I'm just wondering how we too. can. I'm wondering how we can turn this back to a question about <laughs> getting into Tartaria because I know that Jay and Adam probably have like a very minimal idea yes. of what Tartaria is. I have probably a more advanced idea, and I'm sure you are just a giant that we're on the shoulders of here as i wrestle I re dude i wrestle with how much is untrue or true every day that's the point. well that's the thing like that's it is such a mixed bag of who knows what because it seems so new but when you understand like no anatoly fomenko was a real guy he was doing a lot of interesting work and that's where this the majority of the information on tartari seems to come from when i've heard about it but when i heard you on it, it really Pat, helps well, I heard you on Tinfoil Hat, it sounded like there was much, much more than just what Anatoly Fomenko had. And I think it takes a really smart guy like you to look at history and 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 find those little bits and pieces that you would then connect on that like red string conspiracy board, you know, that you see in memes. Oh, yeah. But that's kind of the thing I think. So Fomenko gets a lot of credit because he does kind of the same thing that we're trying to do, which yeah. which was to get the dates and, and the places and start to make a line of what they are and find other dates and places and try to make sure that they all connect properly. And so that's why, like, you know, I, I'll print out cards and I'll set things up and like uh, you'll find weird things. Like, for instance, the Constitution of Spain, 1812 is La Pepa, which I, I love that. It just it feels like it goes in the Pepe deck. But as you start to look through all of the, the history, it's not just that Fomenko has all the an answers on, on Tartaria. 
it's that he's aware that the calendar has been lied about. And so once you can break open the calendar, that's the Tartaria lens I meant earlier. Like you start saying, oh, wait, everything's a lie? Like every every single now, thing? And this is this is so great because on the cards, I notice a beautiful synchronicity. Tecumseh was there. And this is something that, you know, what you just said rings so true to me because – I live in Connecticut. We live in Connecticut, Adam and Jay and I. So we yep. live in a place that once, according to someone I learned from, was sort of like a Garden of Eden for the Native yeah. American people, right? And Dude, I love he, Connecticut. I live there too. And not anymore, but when I did, it was just like, I was just so blown away. I just had gotten kind of into like, I'd been to Spain and I'd been to a couple of places looking for Tartaria. I was like, wait a second, here, America, possibly? But you go to Norwalk and you find out all the trains in the United States came from Norwalk. Like, like they're, yeah, dude, like you got to go to the Norwalk Train Museum. And when you start looking into the brick buildings and you find out all the Polish kind of like Hungarian named Adam, people. have you been there? Yes. <laughs> I knew you've been there. You guys know the Palace Theater, right? In uh, Norwalk, Connecticut, where Houdini played his last show. Like I was squatting and lived at that theater up until COVID broke out, basically. Oh, my goodness. And it was a brick building with a gun armory filled with film now, but like from 200 years earlier, right next to the Civil War armory, which is now a uh, aquarium in Norwalk. I mean, like when you start to look at all these retrofit brick buildings and then you look at some of the story, stories. Uh, so the story is that the Indians called it Nama Wake or Nora Wake or something like that like it's not nordic walk or is it because in the the tartarian scythian connection is that there were boatsmen up in the north and there's plenty of evidence of uh, rune stones like all the way to minnesota there are the kensington rune stone where you know, monty python and I, I started going like the last couple of years i've been to all of these places seen all these things i'd heard about the kensington rune stone i thought it was probably fake because they you know television said you know, these Vikings probably didn't actually go. There. Well, no, they did. There's tons of evidence. The Jesuits talk about it. I've got all the books. And I went and I saw the thing. And I've talked to people. I use lasers myself. But we can date stuff in ways you can't even believe these days. And I'm aware of volcanology enough to know how carbon dating can affect things and where the volcanoes are and how. It's like, we know now. I mean, the idea, like, I'm so more cocky about it than I was five years ago. Because, like, we know. We have all the evidence of it. And, like, you're about Yale, dude. Like, the Yale, we have to get you to see it. They have the Yale codex and you know as soon as i started pointing it out they're like we for years they had it for 60 years and they're like we don't know whether it's true we just paid 50 million dollars for it or something and like <laughs> now then now they say as soon as like 2019 2020 and i go to see it they start saying yeah we believe it's a hoax or something like that because the, the university started realizing from these conversations oh the, the implications of the, I mean, but the people I know working on this, dude, because like uh, Yale's got grad students from Russia, right? So I know a lot of people that are working on it, very convinced it's real. So the schools, that's, it's cancel culture. It's not, it's not science. And that's, that's what's scary about the Tartaria things. Like, how did all of a sudden this history become so dangerous to the reset, to the World Economic Forum? Why are they listening? Why are they so scared and interested in, in this, this idea? Maybe because Manifest Destiny and this idea that we stole the land that didn't, that from people that didn't know how to invent a wheel, like it's not true. Maybe when you look at it, you start to find that these people were probably pretty intelligent and that they had maybe buildings, maybe even bricks. It's okay, clay stacked up can be done by a Native American. And that's the kind of thing that freaks out Eurocentric historians. So it's it should be like it's everyone's thing, like 1619 Project, all of the cancel culture, the Hamilton play, all of this stuff fits pretty well 
into the actual historical narrative. You know, there were clearly people that were interacting everywhere together. And it looks like we had electricity in the 11th century. When I got to Spain, I was looking in Cordoba and I saw they have the spinning water wheels and they have places with these electric lights. And if the books on the designs for this and Herodotus talked about this, even in Atlantis, it just starts to make it seem like Atlantis was part of this bigger thing. So that's been my, you know, but sorry, Connecticut, my God, Connecticut is the center of some of the most important, Connecticut, Minneapolis, and Wall Street are like some of the most important ones. I mean, granted, they're all over the place, San Francisco too, but these were supposedly cities that existed before this. So when New Amsterdam was a major thing, Wall Street was one of the walls of a star fort. And so you can look at uh, Connecticut. Connecticut says that the main cities that have forts, that they're built on Indian burial grounds, and that there's like a rock there each time. Like, this is the rock of the native tribe, and they used to hang around this rock. And it's just really suspect. Like, what? Like, they just have this rock? It's like, then you go look at some of the rocks. It's like, wait, this is blasted from something. And then there are, so there's a number of these perfectly symmetrical forts that make up what was, you know, Norwalk and what's the other? New Haven. New Haven. Oh, man, this is crazy. Yeah. New, New Haven has a weird lost history, dude. I mean. Yeah. No, I mean, I can see it going around town. I, I mean, the even just the the university buildings themselves are are riddled with all these strange reliefs but jay go ahead question is it just like a theory that the history of the native americans is covered up or does it go like deeper than that well i'm it's everything's covered up is the idea so basically the hidden hand in freemasonry like if you read morals and dogma so that was the other reason that i ended up at the at the center of tartaria because like my grandfather was 32nd degree and he didn't quite go to the top. And like, they really courted me. They really wanted me to be a Freemason. I'm just so open source Linux guy. I just couldn't do it. I remember going to the Scotch Rite temple and they bring me into this room, this old man, he like chased me down the street. Cause I walked by the building, took some photos, like, Hey, come in. And I do, the, I know all the stuff. So it kind of is a joke. I'll be like widow's son. I know all the lines, but I don't want to join. So he's like, why, why do you know all this stuff? And, you know, my grandfather had the Morals and Dogma Freemasonry book, which is you're not supposed to read till you're like 33rd degree. I don't know, maybe 30 seconds. Okay, to have it. I'm not sure, but he's dead. So it is what it is. I got my copy from him and I read the whole thing. It's like thousands of pages. In fact, I have an audio transcription that you can hear the book that I'm coming out with soon. I want to make available to people because I want to open source Freemasonry to some extent. I think that would be rad. But basically, you read that book. They talk about Tartaria a lot. At least 13 separate instances throughout the book where they talk about what happened to them, who they were, how they lived here. Like they lived in America, they lived in China, and there was a nepotism and like they ended up uh, losing everything. And it's like, what? Whoa, 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 losing what? What do you mean everything? You're saying these people had nothing. And then the book makes it clear. No, no, no. They had like a great civilization. So going into this, I'd gone, I'd heard that. And then in school, we had the vegetable sheep story. So in anthropology, they say like, you know, if you ever study another culture, like don't believe that they're magical. Here's a guy in Italy who thought that Tartaria was America and China. <laughs> and he believed that cotton was a vegetable sheep. <laughs> and this was to teach us that Tartaria didn't exist. Well, I mean, now we see how that connects. There was a, there, there, like Etruscans, Itaruscans are the former Romans. The Romans raped uh, Tarpeia, the raping of Tarpeia. You could look at the sacking of Sabine or the raping of Tarpeia. 
And then so the Taruskins, uh, they, when the Greek Hellenistic Empire uh, was in Lorca or Heliorchus, which was a sun-worshipping city of South Spain, they had infiltrated, they took over the Thracian Empire. The Thracians are the Taracians. And Barcelona is actually even Barcelona is Bartharona. Like these, like when you start to get to these places and find out the truth about these places, Transylvania, there are like straight up tar is in all of these places in the original versions of the names. And they've been, it's been essentially removed all throughout Europe. And you know, like it's not hard to find, nor is it, nor is it difficult to notice that there was no Italy before 200 years ago. There wasn't, it wasn't called Italy. You know, just the, the map was different. The places were different. There was no Germany. There was, these names are new names for everything. Friesland disappeared. There was an island called Friesland. It might be where Wales or somewhere. We now know in, in, in Holland, which was run by the Spanish, which were run by the, the, the Muslim Span, the Cordova Empire, that they have an entire group of people that don't speak Dutch. They speak Frieslander up in the Northeast, their own broken off area. So, I mean, you start to find all the traces and records of these things. And it's like, well, what was real? And then you go and, well, how do we find out? Well, the Catholic church said they went to these places and they built these amazing things that look just like Rome, the place that was stolen. Okay, so go to Mexico, what do they have? Well, they have aqueducts. How did they build the aqueducts? Oh, well, they imported Italian, you know, neoclassical architects who had to study 2,000-year-old designs and figure out how to rebuild them. And then they, they taught the, the slaves to do contracting. I mean, it's just a really dumb story. And then the, all of the places that are flooded because you've got damage, they've dammed up these areas, and then they remove the dam in certain places, and now they're finding, like, full-on cathedral cities and all of these lakes that they're draining out. Like, they full-on removed whole cities by just flooding them. And beavers were used for that. If you go to any island, like I went to Bermuda last year in January, you find Hogs Bay. Like any place has Hogs Bay, you know, it was a, a victim of a plague uh, war, that, a biological warfare. And the reason is, you know, like Jews and Muslims know not to eat pork, especially sailors kind of. And like, if you remember, Muslims ran Spain. They ran the Dutch, Dutch East Indies trading coming. They were not eating the pigs. But they were bringing pigs places. And so like a great example being Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea has the sexadecimal number system and awareness of the serious dog star. That takes like ground lenses, you know, that takes a lot more than just an atheist like Spinoza from Holland, by the way, who is from this area. So you start to see how they get their data. But basically, they knew all this stuff in Papua New Guinea the, the Moorish, Ottoman, and Tartarians, like, empire being cor- collapsed, like, from a natural disaster, the Moors came in, they, they brought pigs, left them there, and came back in six to 18 months. And when they were back, the parasites had driven them all crazy. And the, this was done all over the world, where they dropped boars and pigs off in order that the parasites would make them insane from eating them, and it would spread. And this is just one of a thousand fascinating examples that I'm sure on the next Sam Tripoli when we talk about the plague museums and the plague factories that we'll bring up. But that's the kind of thing that you'll find if you look for hogs bays. Like, oh, wait, why did they name it after the hogs? There you go. See, now, yeah, that's perfect. I love that you just gave that little teaser because I think that's there's so much more there you can dive into. But let's bring it back to Connecticut and this area because, no, it's okay. 
Andres, you know, I do, Sam, I do ramble. I'm sorry. Sam calls you the supercomputer, and he is not wrong because we're, you know, I'm going to have to transcribe this and take notes and read through it afterwards. But either way, I love what you've given us. Let's focus on Connecticut. And yeah, let's how, pick a place. Pick. Well, I want to know, you know, because obviously it's very clear to me that the history of Native Americans as we learn it in school is not only false, but it's insulting, you know, like it's so wrong that it's an insult to the people who are still alive with indigenous heritage. So, and what, and the other thing that is amazing is how much folklore there is in this area and not just uh, this area, but around the United States some of that folklore includes stuff about giants and includes stuff about red-haired men and includes so when we're talking tartaria are we also talking about giants or are we talking about human beings because i think that might be a point of confusion because there's a lot of people who go around and look at the mounds and all of the great mound structures and say giants were here but now would you say that that's that does that fit into the tartarian main so when I so I try to do things as like I don't want to say like modestly as possible, but I tried. I imagined that there was a you know a point. Okay, well we know what I knew before Tartaria from anthropology is that when before the Neolithic period, humans lived a decade longer. So that means you know if you think about it, and they were about a foot and a half taller, and they, the excuse being that once they started eating just things that they grew themselves and staying in one place, they got smaller. There's there's also other reasons. Like if you start to inbreed, like you take corn, right? Corn, you just take the bags on the corn, you shake it and you make it breed itself. You make smaller and smaller corn. But once you take two tiny, fully inbred corns from two different lines and you cross them and you hybridize them, you get the biggest corn you've ever seen. So there are giants that actually emerge but the idea of some of the older Lemurian, Lemurian being the Mu, like so the land of Lemuria is before Atlantis, there's supposed to be giants that are, you know, 20, like Madame Blavatsky, who's where, by the way, Darwin gets most of his, Darwin gets all of his science from his neighbor, John Edmonston, and all of his theory from Madame Blavatsky, like two ships in the night, you know. But Madame Blavatsky said that there were giants that had back molar teeth. And so there's a great thing with the Smithsonian that they disappeared all the giant statues, skeletons that they found here, which had giant teeth. My thing isn't that Tartaria is the giants necessarily. I mean, you see really giant buildings, but I think that the Tartarians are the, the people after that, the people after the Lemurians and have inherited in some cases actually in like, for instance, Baalbek. I don't think Baalbek was necessarily built by the Tartarians. Some of the proto-Phoenician stuff and, I, you know, people's like Hugo on my channel, Hugo, some guy, he'll talk a lot about the Phoenicians being separate from Tartaria. I've made my point to you, I think that Tripoli and Lebanon and some of these places are literally Tartarian ruins. But you can see the difference in like that square architecture. So things that are more beautiful, more Tartarian. Things that are more square and giant, like often are kind of industrial looking that I think is actually from a, a giant civilization. We have some things from that, but I think most of the stuff was smashed. You see in America, a lot of rebuilding, a lot of putting things back together, uh, especially in the 1800s, you know, that you have these totally collapsed collapsed buildings. Minnesota had this thing that was the the flour mill explosion, supposedly. And so flour, wheat, when you get an electrical shock, blows up. So you have a, a silo of wheat. It actually supposedly blew up 
like pyramid sized stones, shooting them off like bullets or cannonballs, 10 miles in every direction. So these are the kinds of stories we have that are supposed to be like, and then we took the stones and we put them back together. But these are places where they have these giant buildings. So that, that makes a bit of sense. What's weird about Connecticut though, you have the Pequot. I don't know if that's even the way to say that, by the way, is that Pequot, um, Pico, you know, Pequot Indians. There's a lot of evidence that they were uh, interacting with the Moorish empire before the Columbus, you know, and so like before Columbus resailed this, this Spanish trade route that the Moors had established earlier, that the Moors had already established a trade route. So you have the Algonquins and the Pequot are, are probably black. And, and, and also you have Turks that are interacting. So this idea is that you have several different groups of families and some of them are redheads because they're doing certain kinds of work. And the Dutch obviously have, which are the elongated skull people, you know, that's, that's supposed to be, a, there's supposed to be a 14th kind of hominid, which is the elongated skull people, you know, you're talking about in Peru and stuff. You heard that? Does that does that have to do with uh, some? I know it's kind of like yes, Peru, but is this similar to like Akhenaten, the Egyptian? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, totally. And well, so the idea is that at some point, all of humanity was created at the same time in a caste system, and so that there wasn't. That's that's another thing about Tartaria that makes sense to me because it makes more sense to me that a bunch of different humans have. I mean, it, gene flow was taught to me in school, so I don't believe in humanity ended up this one way i believe in humans are a bunch of ideas that sometimes work and don't and then when they interact with each other genes flow you know and so you have homo sapien heidelbergensis uh, australopithecus homo furiensis which is the like hobbit people neanderthals denisovan i could go on there's a lot there's a lot of different kinds of hominids but the the cup capensis is the one that they're like i don't know if that's real but it probably is because when i went to peru and bolivia you see like they have like skull giant skull people and again they're always like i think it's fake but man i tell you like i'm pretty convinced you know and like you start to find stuff in in the the ecuadorian uh rainforest i can't even tell you where it is yet because for the last couple of years they're keeping it secret but northeast ecuador there's a place which is called the the forest of the giants so it's where they found a lot of i mean i literally it's not that i don't want to it's like they're protecting wildlife and archaeology and things like this has happened to me about the Congo too. Like I'm pretty sure I know where Kelly and Bembe is, but we can't talk about it because people will go uh, try to poach the last uh, Argentinosaurus that's alive or one of the it's like Loch Ness monster kind of thing. Like that's all there are a few, but they're in really remote places, you know, and that's kind of been the Bigfoot thing too. people. Are like, Oh, you know, don't look into alternative hominids. That sounds crazy. Well, it doesn't if you say it like that. But if you say Bigfoot, it sounds crazy. So you're not supposed to ever say Bigfoot. But the idea that in the last thousand years, there's been other kinds of hominids that have lasted up to this point, totally reasonable. And we start to look into our genome. We only really scan the exome. Nobody gets, we ought to get our genomes scanned. Because then you start to see, oh, it's not all the same. Imagine that. Like humans have gone back and forth, but there's still compatibility. Not all of the variances might work the same way though. Like exo drivers. And so, you know, in, in terms of like Connecticut, you see a, a huge link with the Hungarian, Bulgarian people. There's tons of them there. And the story that they just came there and that they, they you know, were, were suffering is a little suspect. Especially like, what's the name of the symbol company? Zildjian? Zildjian ended up oh, yeah. in, in Connecticut. And so like when you start looking into like the connections between- They're in Connecticut? Yeah. I, I didn't mean, even like, know so, that. 
It's a great story. The guy well, what supposedly... about Sikorsky? I mean, Sikorsky, yeah. that's like a, isn't that a ski? Isn't that Polish, right? That's yeah, definitely. Yeah, Tartarian. <laughs> <laughs> but you look at, at the kinds of people that end up in Connecticut and they're, there's, they're connected with specific cities in Europe that had interact, they had a trading network going. And so my, I think I said on Sam's show, the idea of an endless summer, right? Which is that you've got a trade network that you have wine every day because you can get it from one place in Chile to California or vice versa, like from Africa to Brazil and back and forth. And you, you know, like, again, like I think 60% of people of color in the Western hemisphere speak Portuguese because of the Portuguese slave trade, supposedly. But when you really look into it, they're just way out in the middle of nowhere. There's a lot more to it than just the insurance uh, settlements. They actually had like Jose Francia and all these people, like the, there were a lot of very successful Moors. So, I mean, it's actually kind of an interesting thing. At one point there was a Tartarian uh, media frenzy, which was really bad for me. And it's gotten my channel like blacklisted almost. It was like a couple of years ago, some dudes in Connecticut that were African-American said that they were the real Tartarians. And they went and they tried to take a Native American town that was run by a casino town somewhere. Like oh, run yeah, by the uh, Mohegan Sun. Is it Mohegan Sun? Is it? Probably... I think that's it. I they're... distanced myself from the whole thing. I was like, what? Well, there's what? Mohegan and there's Foxwoods. Oh, yeah. yeah. So Mohegan were... Sun is, really... the, is the like, they're the big ones. I'm pretty sure that's the Pequot tribe that is the or unless they're mohican tribe but. the mohegans yeah i mean well what's so what's weird is mohegan pequot they have a lot they they interacted with each other and they tra- you know like the same with the french like you trade women and food and things in these societies and and not in the way it sounds it's more like you know they have like parties and they meet and you're like oh great my daughter and you're but also yeah like good india you have arranged marriages and things so they're they're definitely connected but a tungsis, I think, was the other thing. The tungsis are connected to the tars. And basically, though, I was like, how does this make... I'm always trying to figure out how does something make sense? Like, how does this make sense? Like, what is going on right now? And so like, their their deal is that at some... Like, BLM matters. And I mean Black... I'm sorry. I don't mean Black Lives Matter. I, I do believe they do. But I mean BLM as in Bureau of Land Management matters. Mm. And this is this is where I started to figure out where some of the meme magic was going. Because it's like, obviously, you know, all lives are you know important, but what is Bureau of Land Management? Because this, this is the other hashtag when I type BLM. So look into Bureau of Land Management more. And you start to find out Bureau of Land Management is the, the agency that agency that runs uh, Burning Man, in a sense. It owns the land underneath it. And Bureau of Land Management took, in the last couple of years, 200 miles of California coast and 51% of Oklahoma and more and more places in Connecticut and wildlife reserves and New Mexico and anywhere there's oil or natural resources and minerals. And what was the Warren, um, Elizabeth Warren thing with the pipeline? Cause yeah, Bureau of Land Management. So Bureau of Land Management says that a Native American tribe doesn't have to follow the constitution. They can have a French style Napoleonic emperor kind of tribe, tribocracy, tribarchy. And so that's what B, the, the Bureau of Land Management makes it possible for beyond, you know, what we might have these rules that we say, like, you shouldn't have a casino. But no, a Native American tribe is not suspect to the rules of the United States. They don't, they're not ascribed to the rules of the United States because they're on BLM property. So BLM becomes very important in this idea of a new world 
reset society because everything would be under this kind of tribarchy that the Bureau of Land Management has set up. So Bureau of Land Management does matter a lot. And so I get why they're freaking out because they're like, wait, we're living here. We're probably descended from people that existed thousands of years ago that lived here. It looks like it's possible. And we're not allowed to do this stuff. Meanwhile, you have Europeans that have, you know, maybe like 18th or less, you know, a 72%, like one seventy second drop of Pequot Indian blood in them. And they're able to run a casino. And that's all, that's not necessarily always like, what is the reason that, that certain people can do that and other people can't. So it does become, it's like certain families have taken over and have made certain arrangements. And it's not always cut and dry that it's like good and evil. So but yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting that to see how Tartaria has affected the minds of so many people, even in just Connecticut, because, uh, you know, you look at the architecture there and people are starting to realize, like, is this really neoclassical architecture? I mean, Connecticut's kind of the center in a lot of ways for, you know, the brick style and like the really nice buildings. But there's just so much going on with like the, the mystical paths through the native and the original pioneer or whatever graveyards. Like there's just ample amounts of graveyards and like places all around Connecticut. And it's like, it's pretty weird, but you can't find pictures of, uh, you can't try to find a gravestone from the first hundred years of the settlement time and you won't. And so it, it does look like there's a reset that happened there. Very interesting. Yeah. I, I, the town we're in is actually pre-America. It's was founded in 1632, if I'm not wrong. I think Windsor was the first town in Connecticut that was established and it was like people from Massachusetts that came down. If you're talking about the, you know, <laughs> historical record as they say it is. Well, they, but... they say that the Spanish, du so they say the Dutch as the Spanish in 1614 were in Hartford and that the word Connecticut is like a bastardization of some Indian word. It's like- Yeah, it, it means, means long river. Because yeah. the Connecticut River is this very massive river that very comes long all, river. The way, <laughs> right. all the way up from <laughs> like, you know, Holyoke, Massachusetts. Like there's totally. mountains all up there. That's where the, the Connecticut River, I think, actually goes all the way th through past that, all the way up to the St. John in Canada. Very so it's, far. it's a massive river. Yeah. I want to find the picture of the New Haven colony because the New Haven colony was well, a you know, starfort. Maybe and this is this is absolutely fantastic because this is something I've been thinking about for five years, okay? Because New Haven is right in this port, right? There's the water, yeah. it makes like almost like a, a, a triangular shape a bit because on one side you have West Haven, the other side you have East Haven, and then to the north you have North Haven. So there's the first triangle, but then when you go to the next town, you have Milford, you have Branford, and you have Wallingford, right? Or Hamden. And these, you know, it's just very interesting how the names are in this triangle formation all centering around new haven they all have this common new haven is the core yeah so new, yeah. so the so if you look at it so they and this is how they've this is why you can find out so again the cia the cia like have kind of brought up in their disclosure thing tartaria in the united states and so you can kind of look through and find where there is a major center fort what their story is is they say oh well you know the dutch built a 
uh, bastion for it because that was what was popular in Italy. And this, it's like really what's going on is the Arabs who are into arabesque patterns and, you know, they think God is a freaking snowflake shape. Those are the same Arabs that ran Spain that are running Holland that are creating New Netherlands in New Haven. And so New Haven's fort, if I send you a couple of pics, you can see is a snowflake and it has specific angles to it. And it's deep into the rock in a way that's not lot like it's like lasered into the center of the valley. It's like, I don't know if you've been to New Haven Fort, but it's it's amazing. Like it's a beautiful historical place. And it's kind of like off the beaten path. Like if people don't notice it that much, but there's hills and there's tunnels and there's everything else about it. And it has that sort of that snowflake shape so that when water or storm or mud flood, because you know, often when there's a sediment eruption, you can have mud that erupts and it has the landslides. It's created a perfect resonance pattern that keeps it safe. So they created this area, not just before, you know, like they say it's so that they can shoot from every angle is what a bastion fort is supposed to be. Well, look at this. It's not aimed or angled to be proportional. It's not a proportional star. There's angles to it. It's just that the entire property is turned into a star. So what is the property? Well, the property is around the river. And so again, with the name Connecticut, it's like what it really comes down to being is this is an autonomous Atlantis like city colony and you have a river that hits it at an angle of a golden ratio angle and it bends the water around bends the water around purifies filters the water makes it possible for people to plant things grow things and even have windmills and so water mills and those water mills again they weren't from holland originally they come from the Arab traders that brought them from Georgia and, and from Herodotus and from the Library of Alexandria, which is where Turkey, Constantinople, Istanbul today. And that's where uh, Zildjian's from. So these are the families that made this all happen. These are the families that have designed this. Perfect. And so some of them are still the same people, even as we're around in the 16th, 18th century. Yeah. Now, I will say that maybe I was confused, but this is a New Haven fort in the United Kingdom, not Connecticut. So, oh, did I send you the wrong one? Sorry, hold on. But that's all right. Maybe there's a different one. But I will say that West Rock and East Rock, the two mountainous rocky projections, you know, what kind of stone is it, Jay? That type of stone. Redstone. Yeah, it's a red stone. And there, there's two mountains. You can see them, you know, from the city. They're pretty large. As you're walking around the city, there's two, you know, kind of rocky juts up and one of them has a, a tower on top of it but but yeah this is very beautiful i mean i can imagine how this would be a star fort and whoever was here in the uk came over and named new haven you know i i always wonder like you know they're they're using all these names over and over and over again what's the symbols behind that like the 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 geomantic significance of that you know but but we'll wait for you to to send us whatever you got on New Haven, Connecticut. In the I need to get a map picture. There's not enough of a good picture of the place. I have pictures back home or, you know, my, my parents' house, actually. I've got like a bunch of pictures of this, but this one might be a start. Is like the Yale black... is, a, is a fort castle mm. looking area, you know, I mean. Black Rock, black Rock fort, fort, though. Black Rock Fort is, you know, like Black Rock City, like Burning Man. Is yeah. a, it's, a, it's a tunneled fort. It's smaller looking than that picture, but you can see here's here you can see where it's opened up. Okay, yeah, up. no, no, I see one where it's like a it's a hill. Yeah, very clearly. Yeah, right. and this so is over in Blackrock. 
and this is obscured. They've grown over it to make you can't you can't see it very well from space. But if you there's sometimes in certain pictures, I have a Google Map uh, yeah, software. This. Can, this is like over where they have that base, the National yeah. Guard base. Right. Have we and been here, Merck? No, because there's a National Guard base over there. That's, oh, that's the thing. There. If you want to uh, find a star fort that's still in service that you haven't found before, look for a base because what happens is they just convert them and they keep using them. And so those star forts actually end up just being, here we go. Check this out. Let me find this. Look at this guy right here. This was probably built right on top of it. I mean, I mean, I don't know for sure. I have to look at this. This is Sab- This is Fort Saybrook. I have to look at where that is. Wow. But you start to find it had a lot of these really great forts. And a lot of the stuff that was built on wood was on top of something underneath it. And then the underneath fort was uh, obscured a lot of the time because of weather patterns, because they were afraid of the, I mean, if you have like cold weather and you're in a place you've never been before, like the best thing to do is like insulate in a hill. So some of the, the, it's like Star Wars, like the Hoth planet in Connecticut when it's cold, but it's also amazingly warm. That's you guys true. That. But you have a great, great warmth from the Eastern Sea, like from Bermuda, you get these gushes of wind. So it's a good, so, I mean, it's just, it's a perfect place to be. It's it was 70 place. degrees today. And I will say that there's a huge, I mean, it's one of the biggest estuaries in North America, Long Island Sound and all the associated estuaries you know it's just a really rich diverse place so naturally you know there's a large shellfish population that there's all these festivals now the oyster festival and whatnot but back do you want to go to the oyster fest yes so yes that's the best. Oh. <laughs> i actually saw a blue oyster cult when i was a kid at the oyster oh, festival. wow so i never even put that together that's the other thing growing up i was like connecticut man the music like pete and pete and just like polaris and i mean the just well, the, the best toad's music. place toad's place in new haven is like famous for all of the the stuff oh, in yeah. the 60s like the doors have that blood in the street in the or they what is it blood up, blood in the streets in the town of new haven right that's oh, a, yeah. one yeah. of uh they the, get arrested in new haven i remember that was a bit a big deal exactly but, but connecticut's got the music scene i mean it's just so crazy it's a weird place you know yeah absolutely i mean there's even more than just that i mean going back to the native american stuff i think you know it's very clear to me that like I said previously, the history as we're told in school about indigenous Americans is very false, you know? And I think what it was is they tried to give us all this idea that like, oh, they were just, you know, uncultured and we came along and we gave them all these better options. They were like subhuman and we're superhuman and they didn't have anything. And we gave them stuff (laughs) with syphilis and the blankets, but we gave them stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Tecumseh, that's, that's a figure from history. That's very interesting, right? He, he plays into the the Tartaria stuff, right? Am I wrong? Yeah. It's, it's the most, it's probably the most pivotal because he's the guy who said 1812 was going to be when this comet came, the black sun. And then that's what people saw in the sky. It was this kind of like, if you remember the, the solar eclipse a few years ago, that yeah. was a big deal. I went and saw that like, and it was, and it was, it was, in, I think, I can't remember. I think it was in Idaho or Montana, but it was well, just oh, so. You, you stood in the actual, you went to the yeah. actual like band of, cause yeah. we were, we saw it from Connecticut about like 60%, I think, but no, yeah, I went full, was... I went full blown. I was like, all right. My dad was like, you want to do this? I'm like, cool. <laughs> so we just went out. So like, you haven't done anything cool in a while. Yeah. All right. But like, 
man, it was crazy. Cause it was just this, it felt, it felt nuts. It was just like hot and then cold, just cold. And then the light was just this like thin black and white kind of polars, just this, the colors drain and you felt weird. It just felt freaking weird, but it was awesome. But I, I mean, I, it felt like magical in every way. And so that was what he said was going to happen. Only after that, the world was going to have a reset, you know? And so his, his deal was also that it wasn't going to be for just one day. Well, wouldn't you know it? Like kind of like in 1997, we had like a bunch of comments that you could see every night, but for them, it was like earthquakes and lit up skies, like fireworks for 260 days from August until July, basically, or something to that effect. I mean, it was September maybe until July, but it was just all year round. And so through this period, people were like, what is happening? Are these meteors or are these volcanoes just like blasting into the sky? What's, what's going on? And he's like, I told you so. But they'd set up this idea, you know, earlier that we have a confederacy. And so that's what was most interesting with the Native, the Native Americans are the source for Jefferson and George Mason, from George Mason University, like George Washington, all these guys were Ben, ben Franklin, especially really, really into the Confederacy, the Confederacy, but like of the Native Americans, not this, they had slaves, you know, Native Americans had slaves. But they had slaves in the same way that the Moors did, which gives you another example of that weird connection. Their version of slavery is that you can't just fire somebody. You have to take care of them when they get old, right? And that's an interesting difference. Also, you can't enslave their children. So that was another big thing with the Moors is they'd set up that you couldn't, you couldn't just own people like property. But you were responsible for your workers. You know, that was that seems pretty reasonable. And But yeah, they were selling people. And they were like, okay, well, you work for me. Well, now you're going to work for him. And I think companies do that today. So it's not that different from the way the Confederate Indians had set up. They had five tribes. The Algonquins were pretty important to the, the general area. They were involved, like I said earlier, they involved in all of the different tribes and ways. The Cherokee had their own language that was you know, very sophisticated and really was used to communicate like all over the place sequoia supposedly invented the written language but it looks like it existed perhaps earlier and then you look at the mormons the mormons were studying this and they wanted to create a world called deseret and they had a new language called deseret which was supposedly based on the original algonquin language with some phoenician or egyptian influences it's like it looks like glagolithic which is also weird is the slavic language that was really popular with cyril in the ninth century that glagolic language, glagolithic or glagolitic, that looks pretty much very similar and acts in certain ways like Deseret and like Cherokee. So there's a lot of those weird connections. I forgot, wait, was what was the question we were trying to get at? No, I mean, they're, they're, they're really, I'm just setting you up to, to lay oh, out Tecumseh. all information. Yeah, Tecumseh. So Tecumseh Tell us was more about him. <laughs> he wanted well. He was he was a handsome man, and like there's <laughs> they, they had him, they had him come to the American. I think he he was in Connecticut often enough that you know he'd also gone to parts of Nova France like Colorado. So he'd he'd seen a lot of America and what was happening in America. But he his whole his whole difference with with the Native Americans were they were thinking we could work together 
And at first he was kind of okay with that, but he's like, no, 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 I've had these visions. We can't do that. We need to stop using their equipment. We need to stop doing all this stuff. And it ended up kind of like the secrets of NIM where they were like, we need to like completely be our own rats without human interaction that ended up, he told them that they went, this is the official story. And I don't know how true it is, but this is the official story. He sent his troops, lots of them into battle with his brother. And he said, that their bullets won't go through you because of our rituals. You know, they're just going to like, you're going to like turn into a ghost of smoke and you're just going to like take them. And it didn't happen that way. And a lot of people died because they laid out a lot of bullets. And so it really was, uh, I think it's in Minnesota, Twin Lakes, Minnesota. And so it was like one of the biggest, biggest day deaths counts for the whole Confederacy. And so they rejected him after that. But you look at the story of George Washington also in terms of what the Native Americans had, the cherry tree story. And so the flag, the cherry, the, the Moorish flag is called the cherry tree. The Moorish flag is a red flag with a green pentagram. And which is from a vertical, a tree kind of looks like that. So that's why they call it that, I guess, the vertical down looking at the cherry tree. And so they say that George Washington chopped down the cherry tree. And so one of the things about Tecumseh is that he was supposed to put back up the cherry tree and he was that, you know, the Moorish flag analogy works. Like, so if, if George Washington and, you know, there's a lot of sort of George Washington was part black, he married Mary. She had kids who died before they hit 20 and he never had kids with them, but he had like slaves and wives of slaves, which he gave wealth to. So you do the math, like, you know, he was creating a foundling culture. And at that point they were against wills. The original America plan was that people like communism, like you would at the end of your life lose everything and it would be redivided. Like someone could get like Alexander Hamilton was like, yeah, we should make it possible for people to like make a lifetime of wealth and then lose it real quick. And then it goes back into society and just keep building it like grosser merchantilism. Well, I mean, that didn't really work out because obviously, but <laughs> I mean, that was the plan, you know? Yeah. Wow. No, I, there was, there's so much going on with what you just said. So the cherry tree being chopped down is significant of George Washington maybe severing those ties between the American, you know, natives and the Moors or whoever else took their place. And taking, and taking their empire. And so that's the idea with the, the Moorish flag that, Tecumseh later on was like, we're going to put it back up and we're going to recreate. And that's so when you look at how far it goes from 1812 into 1865, it's not a leap to see that the Confederacy wasn't what you're told about. Like it was about slavery in a sense, but it was more about the oppression of the North on the, and we shouldn't call it even the civil, what war is a civil war? Honestly, it's a weird thing to call a war. And considering we have sweatshops all over America in the North today, what is it really about? Well, you know, the War of Northern Aggression, as the um, sons of Confederate veterans with their statues in the South getting torn down are calling it, the War of Northern Aggression, that, again, with, like, how do we make something make sense? Like, how do we make this, like, Tartarian, like, civil, like, against the casinos thing? Where is it coming from? Well, okay, the War of Northern Aggression, it's coming from the idea that you have these great cities in the South that are part of Novo France or part of Novo, uh, Nuevo Spain, España, España Nueva. Got to work on my grammar, but they have they have like they have a they have a reason they they really were their own places. And they you look at the pictures of the places they had trolley electronic trains in New Orleans. Like if you ever played Red Dead Redemption, 
Like I forget the name of the New Orleans. Yes, we place. have. <laughs> What's the name of the New Orleans place? Adam. Oh, you mean um, you mean like the 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 major city? Yeah, the one that has steampunk electricity. It's Tartaria. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh, I know this. Denise, Den. Saint Denis. Saint Denis. Like, and I, I was like, I can remember it because Denise Vince and the Neanderthal. That's how my brain works. I don't know, but yeah, basically <laughs> that game is that kind of goes into like. You've got this multiracial society where you have Asian laundromats and you have all kinds of people that were interacting with each other. And it's not it's not like nearly as racist as they act like it is. And then out of this comes the, you know, this war of northern aggression where like we need to destroy the south. Sherman goes through and he's like blowing up 50 square miles at a time is the story again. Like a lot of the Tartaria myth is you know, or, or legend is, is based on if history is true. It could be that he found already destroyed things from the comets or volcanoes that we, you know, cause you look at 1812 Venezuela, like lots of places are falling apart, you know, but it could easily be that the United States came up on fall or uh, already collapsed Confederacy. And like these people were trying to defend their homelands. You got stories of these kids who were like, my sister's being shot. Like my dad's dead. Like I have to protect my house. And they're just coming through, like, I think in Tennessee was an example, like some of the battles that happened in people's yards. But they were just, I mean, imagine cannonballs blasting cities, and you take the railroads apart and then tie them around trees, Sherman neckties, right? Over there. So you couldn't use the train. But that, you know, it ends up being like John Levy has a pretty good series of videos on Tartaria. It's not exactly the same approach as mine but he's he's got some really important research and works on it and he's shown like you know it's plausible that like they're just taking pictures of after earthquakes these bent trails and then they're taking saying oh we did this and that was like kind of a a media cover to what was going on with the civil war so you know a lot of the civil war it's like we're told that it was this white supremacist state it's kind of interesting when you look at how morals and dogma talks about the native americans and even like the gangs of New York, when you start to find out about the gangs, Native American gangs, American natives and things like the racial fights they're having. And also like Elizabeth Warren saying she's Indian, being Aryan. What's up with that? There's like, is she lying? Doesn't seem like much of a liar. Like she doesn't necessarily know everything she's talking about. But how long ago are we talking about Scandinavian people that are believing that they're Scythian or Aryan or part of Tartarian? And it's like, it's, it's part of history. How many cultures along the coast have Welsh and especially Wales is like, you take people from Wales, put them on boats and you drop them off first, hoping that they're going to get it done. Then you come eventually a couple years later. So there's Welsh that have been completely assimilated all along the East coast. And I mean, all the way down to Santa Cruz, Argentina. So there are Welsh words everywhere on the east coast that are incorporated into language and yeah like at some points like this convoluted idea of what is what is america like the confederate the confederacy was probably built around a native american constitution that it was a tribocracy that allowed for i mean like howard zinn people's history of the united states talks about this the arawake indians and the you know the way that they used to live this, again, this is stuff that, for the most part, is considered progressive, liberal, uh, socialist uh, anthropology. But it, it turns out to be that some of that stuff actually makes a bit of it holds a bit of water. It really is, you know, evidence that the Confederacy wasn't this racist thing. It was actually part of the Native American. You know, they were working on gradual emancipation, for instance, which was that they said that by 1900, everyone born in the Confederacy would be free, regardless of their color. 
And the plan being that, you know, at, by 1960, everyone on the street would be equal because they would have gradually been introduced to the society. Sounds really, really familiar, except that we never quite got there, you know? Right. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, still so, so many points to jump off of here. I think Andreas, you're definitely going to be a welcome back guest. I might have a four-parter coming time. up. Dude, I love, yeah, I love, I love no, doing so. It's sure. great. I'm sorry if I'm jumping all over the place. No, not, not a problem. No, no, it's all right. I mean, I have so many questions, but Adam, Jay, do you guys have any questions off the top of your head before I jump into another question before we close? Jump this in, out? jump in. It sounds like you have one cocked at the at the ready. <laughs> That's why we got him. He's consistent. <laughs> secretary, thank, secretary, thank secretary, you. secretary. Wow. Get Jay, give him a bonus. Please. I'll raise him All from right, zero dollars so. a month to zero dollars a year. No, give me, give me, uh, how about we change it to euros? <laughs> thank you. You guys have given me just enough time to formulate uh, actual rational questions. There you go. Even better. Andreas, we recently had Chris Bennett on the show. I don't know if you're public with your relationship with cannabis, but I love smoking weed. Does weed fit into Tartaria? I know the Dutch are really interested in in weed. Amsterdam came up. It's huge there. And cannabis is one of these things that it's so utilitarian. You know, the hemp rope is obviously huge. Cannabis means cannabis. It's huge. It's a huge part of trading and sailing. And, and so have you looked into that angle? So as a, as a I used owner? to work at the Museum of Hemp in California, Santa Cruz, back in California. Wow. And one of the first videos I ever made was on the history of hemp. And so I've always been very fascinated. If it's not part of Tartaria, it's at least a part of the Exertus. But my my thought is that, <laughs> you know, you look at the history of the United States, of America, of the Dutch East Indies Company, of all their sales, of the Roman roads, and the lubrication of the wheels being hemp oil. And, you know, the, the if you go back far enough, you've got 10, 15, 20,000 years ago, you've got people saying, the first things we have written, like we talk about, there's like the Sumerian tablets, and then there's the Grasnitsa tablets, and there's the Tartaria tablets, they're the oldest now, right? So what we find is, that there, there are hemp leaves stuck into the ceramics of some of these things. And if you go back to the Chinese, especially, there's a great, I, one of the, I think it's like the fourth oldest thing in the world, but just after the Epic of the Gilgamesh, it says, look, we're some monks that were supposed to starve to death, but we had a bunch of hemp seeds, this blight, and we just lived off them. And it was awesome. Basically, it's like the only they wrote this down and be like, we survived this and it's awesome and we should be grateful. So going back to the earliest moments of our history, we have existory, we have hemp involved, and we have bioaccumulative evidence of this from cannabinoids. And our inter- our obviously, cannabis has been nonstop interactive with us. The question really isn't, is hemp part of Tartaria? Is when did hemp stop being part of our history. And we know now, you know, in Queen of England was using hemp menstrual tonics and elixirs for her cramps. We know that in America, in drugstores and in pharmaceutical, before pharmaceuticals, when you had soda fountain shops, that you could get hemp tonics. What do you call that? The cannabis alcohol? 
tinctures tinctures were heavily available and so they were very common in the victorian period what when's it end well you got william randolph hearst and his nephew jay anslinger and anslinger's you know actually his son-in-law or something like that from his wife not his mistress you know he doesn't like his wife like he just did what he had to do right so like i mean let's be real so no like he sets up he sets up this thing for melon brothers who invented nylon and so nylon is a petroleum product and they can use that to really take over and so also getting rid of the redwood trees which is like i'm from santa cruz i'm I'm super bummed out that redwood trees are ever killed you know but like they're like you know you can like in terms of environmentalists from all of my groups i can get how they like a 400 year old redwood tree versus you can get more people quicker like it's I, i love people but like can we please stop killing the redwood trees but they used to just grow hemp six weeks you got 20 foot you got the eli whitney um hemp gin which was the end of the reason for slavery because you wouldn't even need to industrialize workers to do menial tasks anymore with automation so hemp is like core to everything for electricity for like an entire sustainable society it seems to me pretty obvious that that's what existed before but we have to also be grateful that for a hundred years we didn't have it because then they started working on kinds of chemistry we might not have. And we've learned about liquid crystal polymers, the only kind of polymer that really makes sense, you know, like Vectran for spaceships, which will now in the next century be made out of hemp again. But yeah, I mean, again, canvas, the constitution's written on it. George Washington grew it. Thomas Jefferson smoked it. I think we all know, like it's pretty much the most important plant and there's different kinds everywhere. North Korea, you know, they can't buy cigarettes. They end up smoking hemp that they grow on the side of the road. So, yeah, it's it's been there for us forever. And it's a respected substance for sure. Yeah. Wow. So it, keeping with this theme, I mean, I hope you have some time here. We're, we're almost at two hours, so we'll cut it off at like 10 o'clock. Is that good for you? Yeah, no, this is cool. I mean, actually, cool. it's nice to talk about because I don't get to talk about some of those things. I used to work for Women and Men Medical Marijuana WAM in Santa Cruz, which was the first Santa Cruz dispensary before they went full on de- medical. And it was yeah. like illegal at the time. We had to do it secretly, but it, was, it wasn't for me. It was people who had like AIDS or cancer and they were dying in the hospital. And we were figuring out like back then, like, can we make a coconut oil tincture, put it into capsules and feed them these so that they don't die from the chemotherapy. And I know dudes that were about to die in like 2003 when this was going on that are now, June 6, they're now like, they're still alive and they uh, can eat and they, because cannabis came in, they didn't have to keep taking morphine. And so, you know, it's probably one of the other craziest things. It's like the world really needs this. And it's, it's so incredible like to see how many people have suffered literally from cannabinoid deficiency. Uh, honestly. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's the message. Chris Bennett, former guest on the show. He's been a guest on uh, higher side chats, which I think you're going to be on your shoe in for, for a Greg Carlwood nice. interview. I think he's definitely going to be interested, but either way, Chris Bennett was saying that exact thing. Like hemp is the healing of the nation. We can replace, you know, all of this, you know, wasted Arbor, and use hemp instead and and not and keep these old growth forests the last of the ones that we have it and encourage stronger forests from the ones that have already been destroyed and and keeping with this going back to the guests because i love the synchronicities that are happening in this conversation you mentioned uh 
space and you're talking about the timeline, we talked to Ari Asselin, who, who has a lot to say about the timeline as well. His website, Paradigm Threat, is really interesting. I hope you check it out, Andreas, because I think you'd be interested in it. But uh, ParadigmThreat.net. And uh, he was talking a lot about, you know, the similar stuff that we're talking about. But before that, we started with like Saturn and the original, you know, what Saturn was. So I wanted to get your thoughts on space because, you know, Ari says that you can't leave the atmosphere. That's his opinion. We actually had just another guest on, Alex Stein, who said space doesn't exist. He's a flat earther. (laughs) So what is your opinion on space? Because you said that they're using cannabis crystals for spaceships. So let me get that answer from you well okay gosh there's so many places with that that's actually it's actually a lot of things at once but let's see back in school i was like i don't want to graduate ever because i don't want to get a job so i kept going to school forever and i i kept doing it until i got to nanotechnology and then they're like oops now we're going to make you graduate so you can go intern at nasa and what they wanted me to do was i did graphene laser ablation where you like laser carbon to make photovoltaic cells and par density research because I was really interested in cannabis. And I thought that, you know, with par, par is photoactive radiation, you can study the different spectrums of lights and you can be like, ah, I could use this amount of 200 nanometer waves and it'll do this. And so I was figuring out like, well, this causes sugar growth or, you know, 600 nanometers can really affect the vegetative growth. And you can imagine, I was like doing crazy experiments and also hypothesizing because for science you kind of have to like well what what would happen let's be real like eventually you're not going to have a giant plant you're going to have this giant vine system and it would grow this you know giant so we were essentially cannabis grows in space now because of research that i did and i'm pretty happy with that the the space station and what they're planning what to do with hemp is like it's all based on the par density research that we did at that in back in 2010 to 14 15 but the thing about cannabis is that, and before we get into space, is that, you know, I, I want to be the punk rock rebel here to say this is like, you know, you should smoke pot sometimes, like if you're sick and stuff like that, or if you need it. And maybe sometimes you should like not use pain suppressors, and maybe sometimes you need to go through things. I think eating raw hemp for a glaucoma and those things, that should be more common for everyone. Everyone should eat non psychoactive doses of cannabis every day, no matter what for health reasons in, and I'm not a doctor. I'm just saying like, I think there's obvious evidence to apoptosis and you wanna preserve your body and not get cancer and radicals. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it makes sense to eat something that's not psychoactive. You're running out of excuses in America, but you know, in terms of what we do with hemp, you know, you just said like we could grow this plant and then use it to build the world. We could do it to, to make anything. And instead what we do, like we use sunlight and then we could build this world. So we're growing it inside to, we could be using it to make energy. And instead we're using all the energy to grow under lights inside to make something we do to smoke, to do nothing and a lot of people have become, and I think the power of intention can be stored in a crystal. And you got to be really careful because what we've done to cannabis is we've you know, changed it. And I, I've seen so many plants go that way. If you look at the Sans Bushman in Africa, they have a great cactus that is a dietary suppressant now. It's not what they were using it for. And the plant doesn't work as well. I mean, it's not that you have a tolerance to something you haven't taken before. It's that the plant's being raped and murdered and it doesn't like it. So the plant starts to lose its capacity 
the because it doesn't want to be destroyed you know i mean it's sometimes like cannabis is like wow i'm being proliferated like corn so it's or grass which is a corn you know corn to grass so cannabis wants to be a weed it's going by that name but is it it's like it's not really what it is so we have to be careful with cannabis etc now on to space so i'm not a i'm not a flat earther but i'm not a globe head i've been really doing my best to try to get flat earther data to people because i think it's important data i think that you know we need to study it but for the same reason i'm questioning empiricism of normal scientific enterprise i you know i'm not throwing all my eggs in any basket and i certainly don't like the removal of the subject of space and aliens because I, that that's kind of like the demons thing you want people talking about demons you want people aware that there could be demons there could be angels but there could be demons and that they're probably they could interact with you and so for people that believe in flat earth it's it's fine and there's a lot of really important things to question there i think it's important to research and you should look into it a lot but to, to, to use it as an excuse not to look into space, to use it as an excuse not to look into contracting with extraterrestrial or inter, infra dimensional beings that could be working with, you know, like the idea of light being grays in the radio waves. It's just, it sounds very Catholic Jesuit demon exorcism thing to me. So I'm not ready to let go of that idea, whether it's outer or inner space though, what I've found is that people that believe in space are like, well, it's harmless for the same reason. They're like it's so far away that it's never going to interact with us. By the time it gets here, it'll be dead. So, I mean, you see a lot of people on Rogan saying stuff like that. that they think that space is not a threat, even though they kind of believe it's probably there. It's just so far away that we're safe. I don't like that either. So I think everything is holographically stacked on top of itself. In the, in the space-time foam is the, you know, the Michael Albert holographic universe kind of model, electric universe theory. Three brown, one blue, the math channel on YouTube has a great video on what happens if you had pi, uh, the number, in a flat plane. And what happens is you have a delineation that is exactly the number three times 0.141596. That is on a flat plane, the idea of an entropic curve. So you're not actually seeing a curve, but you're feeling a curve because it's like it's it's slowing down or shortening the distance the same amount that would happen if it was curving over. So we're experiencing something that seems like a curve holographically in depth, which is actually flat plane. So there is a lot of truth to the idea mathematically in physics of a flat plane for all of reality, but that could also be the Mobius strip, which is where you have two things that when you flip it over and you curve it around, you keep going and you end up on the inside, you keep going around on the outside. It's like, we're probably in some sort of a, an, an infinite loop like Pac-Man to some extent. In terms of the South Park episode, again, where they go to space, which was what, I think I made a video about this a few years ago, that the spaceship car, the Tesla car, the Roadster that went to space, Elon Musk put in six years before that, South Park made an episode, maybe it was 10 years before, it was 2008 or something. South Park put out an episode where like they make a Pinewood Derby car that looks like the Tesla Roadster that doesn't exist yet. And they put it into space, right? So that's, it's like, it's South it's Simpsons predictions, but better. You know, it's like, I think that's what South Park always wanted was they wanted to be the next Nostradamus. But the story with that episode is, you know, kind of similar to what it looks like going on with Elon Musk. Elon Musk is like, I want to go to space. I want to do all this cool stuff. And they won't let him, they won't let him do it, you know? And then he has to like go along with the program and have to, you know, cause he really wants to do his thing. So he's like pretending and hiding uh, in plain sight, like that he's aware that he's playing, why don't you play the game? Like he's playing the game, but 
what the South Park story is, is that like we're tested by aliens and we lose. We, we failed the test. The test was, are we good people? And we weren't good people. They're all lying, cheating, stealing and destroying each other. I think we bombed Finland. And that's the last and it's all over some currency that we gave value that had no value. That was called space bucks. So they, they put an atmospheric lock on us and we're not able to leave that. And what I was taught at NASA was that it's really the space debris all around us. If you start to think about how many satellites are there, there's enough space debris there that pretty soon it's going to block out the sky from the earth. Like that, honestly, before the sun could be blocked out by itself, we could do it just from litter. And that's, you know, when you're from California, it's like first world problems. Like it's not enough to be worried about the earth first. You got, we're just, we just have to keep going. But like, it's scary, like to think like, oh man, like when you're 10 years old, like, oh man, like I could die of skin cancer because I'm a junior lifeguard. And like, you have to wear this or you're going to die. But I'm also afraid that the sun's going to black out and I'm going to freeze to death. Like, this is the kind of fears that they instilled in as a child. But with the space lockage in 2012, you know, to the age of 12, they were telling me that we're pretty sure that the moon's inside of our atmosphere. And then I started making videos about it. now they've pretty well admitted i think it's actually just accepted fact on like tv and stuff however that works that the moon is inside of our atmosphere and so when you start to look at it yeah like this is what flat earthers are talking about there's something weird about space the way that they're explaining it it's not accurate it's not like the way that they're modeling it there's there's something that we need to look into about that having said that i think that's we're, we're about to do whatever sort of demonic bridge like that they're talking about that xenu scientology thing whatever it's going to be globe or flat earth like we're about to make some sort of a contact and so many people aren't prepared for that because of this but the, the last hundred years it seems like we've been you know the story about bombing the uh, the firmament and the bikini bottom where yeah. sponge spongebob is from there's a crazy conspiracy the theory. yeah the, the idea that spongebob is a nuclear test site there's a there's a weird theory on that on the internet actually i should be yeah. looking that more but yeah they, they were trying to make a hole in the firmament's the story you know some flat earthers say that like some of the, the salt the, the epic of gilgamesh or the seal of solomon story i think it's the epic of gilgamesh they talk about the um trying to make a hole in the sky which leads to noah's ark the flood is like from a hole in the firmament the idea of space being water which is what like thallus of midius thought in 539 bc which is the year of Columbus. Well, Columbus Day in 539 BC was actually when Cyprus created the Human Rights Declaration and freed Jerusalem and, and freed um, the, uh, the Persian Empire, right? So we have all these links to 539 BC also. There's a, there's a lot of people at that time who right before Pythagoras, they believed that the world was flat and that it was on a plane and it was space was water. And so that's that kind, kind of to me is a very interesting aspect, this idea that it's not an inside out vacuum. Cause it's pretty weird to believe that we're bats hanging everywhere and everywhere we go is upside down all the time. And we think we're not. And then that if you get outside of this, it's an inside out balloon, you know? Cause like all of a sudden you're like, but where there's no wall. Cause these things are the walls, but we're, it, we're balloons inside of a vacuum. It's just, it's clown land. It's clown theory. It's clown physics. It's the opposite <laughs> physics. It's, it's cool, but it's, it's a weird idea that that would be what the universe is. And then even just the idea like of Newtonian, the sun and the moon, they're, you know, completely different sizes and they're completely different distances from each other, like completely, like really far, really big, really small, really close. But somehow science has made them look just about 
the same so that you have to know that God is lying to you and that everything you're experiencing is just a lie from science. And that's a weird, if that's true, man, that's the weirdest conspiracy theory of anything. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I had a very close friend last year who wholeheartedly believed in flat earth. Her whole family did. And, you know, it didn't stop them from living a really cool life. So I don't think yeah. there's a problem with it. But I definitely, you know, think that it's it's a little far-fetched. I appreciate past guests who've talked about it. But personally, I'm not married to the ball and, and I'm not also diving into flat earth. So I appreciate your position. You know, we need to look at these things scientifically. And there are real answers out there. And there are real lies out there. But it's not something where we need to take one extreme because the other extreme is true, right? Because just because one extreme may seem to be true doesn't mean the other is true. I mean, I just said mm -hmm. that same thing twice, but <laughs> well, I mean that there are two different truths because one of them is the truth that you're experiencing and one is the truth you're told. And so, you know, experience and an expert and expertise, it's, they're all the same. If you're an expert, you have experience in something. Well, you know, I mean, if you've ever taken a psychedelic, then you know that your empirical observations can be flawed. And so that's the idea of theology and theos and religion is, is that actually to have a shared lens where we're looking for something we can't see by ourselves. In fact, we were blinding ourselves to what we all together might be able to see that. And so theos is really important. Shared, shared lens is the most important thing. But, it, you know, I mean, like what really offends the scientific enterprise ascribers, especially, you know, I mean, like both the people who actually know what they're talking about because they do science themselves and the people who just buy into it like a religion, because there really are that, too, you know, and probably more. More people do that than do their own experiments. Let's be real. But it doesn't matter because they're, they're trusting in experiments. They think these are really good experiments. You should be able to trust in them. Well, you know, there's it defends them the idea that someone would reject other people's experiences, and and they think that you're uh, a danger to the scientific method. But really, a lot of what they're trying to do is do their own experiments and measurements. And so, there's a benefit to that, and you want that to happen. But neither one is completely without fault because you you can't see the nose in front of your face. You need a mirror to see your own eye color, like, et cetera. There's all kinds of metaphors and you're going to need to work together sometimes. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a, the main benefit is it should help really diligent scientists that were trying to research stuff to be aware that like we haven't proven certain things when we haven't. Like well, sometimes scientists believe in things and it's okay, but it's not science. And we need to know that so that we can be more accurate with what, experience and measurements metrics and every kind of test you know ver verification that we do yeah no i mean that's a beautiful way to close it off this shared lens thing i think is is very interesting metaphysical concept i'm still new to it it's the first time i've heard it put that way but i didn't think that i'd be interviewing a guy who helped make pot growing in space a possibility like this is i never is, thought it was that cool until i said it and i was like wait that's not so bad actually that's, that's actually right. pretty profound i think you should have your own brand of pot uh, called like space actually, og i had uh in 2000, OG. 2015 in the like best strains one of the top 100 was andre kush so oh yeah 
and I still, you know, if you like serious, like serious constellation, look into serious resins because uh, we do some. I know. I mean, I've been involved with the crystal extraction of THC just on a chemistry level, like for years. I'm all about it. All right. What a great plug for those of us in the legal states. Connecticut's not quite recreational yet, but we're Brutal. on our way. New New Jersey it just made it recreational, which is cool. They're not too far. And nice. I went to Mass not too recently and, and got this uh, Tahoe OG. You probably can't see it because of the light, but epic. Not bad, not bad. It was pretty good. Shout out to shout out to Sierra Naturals, I guess. But uh, can you guys hear my fucking dumb dog? Oh yeah. I can do <laughs> yeah. Is it that, oh, that's yeah. the sh- I thought that was the shout out. Oh my god. <laughs> Next shout out is the dog treats. Yeah, this guy's nuts tonight. But anyways, Jay, Adam <laughs> Thank you for joining me on this interview, Zertus. Oh, this was interesting. This was hella Thanks fun. so much for having me. Andreas Zertus, dude, you ruled, man. Mark is bananas. Crazy. Okay, this guy's losing his mind. I Don't listen crazy to him. for feeling so lonely. Follow us on patreon.com slash mftic. That's patreon.com slash mftic.